I don't know, let's, let's start on in prayer because I think I need that right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for being here. Forgive me for my taste in music sometimes. But, Lord, I appreciate you. I thank you, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you are here to do miracles in the heart of people, Father. I thank you that we are not here just to play church or go through the motions and do our little Sunday duty here. But, Lord, that we are here to worship your name and then to receive from you, Lord God, because you have something to change our lives, Lord. We praise you for that. And we open up our hearts right now to receive from you whatever it is that you have for us, whether it's truth that's going to encourage us or whether it's hard, tr truth that's kind of hard to hear. We thank you, Lord God, that that's what we need because you love us. We thank you, God, for loving us so much. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, um, last week we began a new series uh, in here called My New Year's Revolution, and we're exploring uh, some ways. How can we go beyond just sort of the same old, you know, making resolutions, empty resolutions that, you know, most of us are going to give up on by February? Um, but instead, how can we experience deep, lasting revolution uh, in, in our DNA, change from the inside out? Uh, how can we got, get God to change who we are, not just, you know, the little things that we do, but who we are so that we can be his instruments of change to the world? Because that's our vision people being changed by God to change the world. So we got to, in order for that to come to pass, we got to do the first part, which is be people being changed by God. And we want that. We want to be people being changed by God. Um, how many of you just love the way you've always been and the way you were last year, and you hope that just continues? Everybody, everybody could stand a little bit of change, a little bit of improvement, something in your life to grow, to flourish. Amen. I think, I think most of us are. Revolution. The reason why we chose this word is because revolution is, is transformation from the inside out. Um, revolution, not resolutions, last. It's revolution that lasts. And revolution entails not just learning another set of things to do, you know, another list, another uh, list of, of things I'm going to try to make a habit or something like that. It's not just that. It's about honestly admitting also things that we need to drop from our life. We talked about that baggage last week, some baggage that we need to lose in order to make this journey of 2015 a successful journey. Um, last week, we talked about one of these things, the burden of hidden sin, when we have hidden sin in our life, and, and we sit there and we suffer in silence, and we can't tell anybody about it because it just racks us. And this morning, I want to I want to touch on another one of these burdens that we need freedom from, and that is the heavy burden of busyness. Busyness. I didn't just misspell business, right? A lot of arguments went into that. How do you spell busyness? Is it with an I? Because no, that's business. But anyway, so busyness, the heavy burden of busyness. Um, how many of you just feel like your life has reached epic proportions of busyness? Just your entire day is filled. You're constantly putting out fires. Like you're not doing what's really important because you're too busy doing everything that's urgent and everything that calls on you. Anybody? Anybody else just have these kind of lives where, where you, so many times you just feel, some of you are sitting in here this morning and, and you're, you're, you're stressed out, you're, you're tired, maybe you didn't get good sleep last night, and, and you're sitting here and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I think we live in an epidemic of busyness. It's, I believe it's an epidemic today. Today I want to explore this, and I want to talk about stewarding our time. Pastor just said some amazing things right there about stewarding our money. I want to talk about stewarding our time and how the things that we 
stuff our time with can be another weight around us that we, we can either choose to carry into 2015 or we, we can drop it right here, right here and now. Um, how many of you uh, like, I, I think I know the answer to this. How many of you like a vacation every once in a while? Yeah, you like a holiday, right? A vacation. How many of you find yourself sitting here uh, on, on this side of the Christmas holidays thinking, well, now I really need to go on a holiday to recoup from that holiday, right? Actually, that's, that's normal. Why, why is that? Why do we feel like that sometimes? Because holidays are, are meant to be exciting. Holidays are actually, did you know they're not really meant to be restful? Holidays are not necessarily meant to be restful. What we love about holidays, when you think about it, uh, going on a holiday, having a holiday, is it, it's a break in the rhythm of our normal life. It's a break. And it's a time, it's something different. It's a, there's, you know, it's a time, there, there's like a magic in the air, you know, at Christmas time or something like that. Um, it's a chance for us to press the pause button on our everyday work and the everyday routines and a chance to celebrate with people that we love, our friends and our family, to kind of breathe deep. A holiday for me uh, is, is a chance to recalibrate myself to what's most important to me, right? Sometimes just having a day off gives me a chance, uh, not that I would just want to sleep all day, but it gives me a chance to recalibrate and, and sort of remember what's important to me, you know? Uh, that's, that's a holiday is, is good for that. Here's something you might find interesting, and, and you probably know this, but the etymology of the word holiday comes from holy day, where we get the word holiday. Because a holy day uh, was this sacred day, you know, throughout history. It's always been a sacred day that's put aside for the celebration of what's most important in a culture or something like that. They take a holy day, a holiday. And the holiday was never really meant to be that day that we use to catch up on our rest. Uh, sometimes we talk about holidays as if, as if they are, you know, those holidays, they're the handful of times every year that we got to save up for so we can catch up on our rest. We say things like, I really need a holiday, right? Uh, my life is wearing me down and I need to get away. And, and I think we've actually got things a little bit backwards. In, in fact, throughout human history, holidays have been days where we tend to expend more energy right? To celebrate what's important. I mean, just think about Christmas, Thanksgiving, the Easter, these things. And it was true for the Hebrew people as well. If you look in the Bible, their holy days that they had, they would sometimes stretch out, sometimes they'd be a day, sometimes they stretch out for a week, and they would just be times of celebrating and feasting and dancing. And sometimes, sometimes what they would be is a national day of repentance, you know? And, and either way, it would be these days that they would tend to, if you look at them, they tend to spend more energy to recalibrate their lives around what's more, most important in their life. So it kind of makes you ask, well, when did they find their rest? And so this paradigm that we get into where we sort of kill ourselves all, all, all year long and then we look forward to a holiday to get some rest, it's kind of foreign to the Bible. Instead, God has an amazing idea. He's, he says, I want my people well-rested all the time. Imagine that. Imagine that. And God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you some principles that are going to help you live a productive, yet well-rested, and unstress-filled life, so that your 
holidays, your holy days, can be opportunities to spend your energy in a more meaningful way, in a more relational way. Now, one way God does this is he gives us the concept of the Sabbath. God gives us the Sabbath. God says, you know what? A week should not go by without you being fully caught up on your rest. So the Sabbath is something that God even modeled for us. You know, we see it in in Genesis and creation, the way he created the world. He created in six. He rested on the seventh, you know, as though God needed a rest. But what he's doing for us is modeling for us his creation, that life is not all about productivity. It's not all about productivity. It's about pausing to celebrate all that you've done. And that's what we see God really doing on that seventh day. He celebrates the creation. God himself stops and he celebrates. He says, man, all this is good. I have done good. Well done, me, right? And, And having that pause to do that, to celebrate the life that you're living, that's as important as being productive the other six days. It's just as important. And so God instructs us that this needs to be woven into our, the weekly rhythms of our life. It's the fourth commandment in, in Exodus 20, to honor the Sabbath. You should do this once a week, he says. The fourth commandment. And it's interesting, when you go back and read there, what was the penalty for breaking this commandment of not resting as you should? Death. That's pretty hardcore right? And what's God saying? If you don't rest, you die. That sounds really harsh, but God took this seriously. And what was he saying to them? If you don't rest, it will kill you. And guess what? The penalty for not learning to rest is still death. God's not going to destroy you, but your blood pressure will, right? God knows what he's talking about here. God says if you don't honor a Sabbath, if you don't weave this rhythm of rest into your weekly cycle, you begin to die a slow death. And it's important. It's important to find that time. In my life, because of the way kind of, you know, church world works, my Sabbath falls on Monday, you know, and and I try to guard that, you know. I I, I consider that sacred, you know, and and it's it's a time. I I get to be with my family, you know. Try not to schedule a whole lot of stuff on that day. It's a time to unplug and get to be, you know, recalibrate recalibrate to what's most important to me, right? To this beautiful woman and my beautiful two sons and the things that the Lord's doing in our life, right? And so it's important. It's important to have that. Now, let me add this. Just keeping a Sabbath once a week is not enough. A Sabbath is not actually the, the panacea for all your problems. I used to, honestly, I used to kind of think it was. I thought, Sabbath, that's where it's at. You just got to keep a Sabbath and everything will fall into place. Everything will be great. You just got to keep a Sabbath and you won't have any more problems. But I, I started to look around and it dawned on me that me and some of my friends who were the most committed to keeping the Sabbath were still some of the most stressed out people I know, right? I was like, well, that, that's weird, right? We were keeping the Sabbath, but we're still stressed out. Why is that? Why is that? Because the point is not to burn yourself to a little nub of a candle all week till you can get to the Sabbath. Some of us 
we say, well, I'm going to add the Sabbath to my life, but we keep the rest of our cultural habits. And, and really, when you think about this idea, well, I'm, I'm going to just grind myself to a little nub and get to the Sabbath, there's no difference between that person and the person who lives in the world who's living for the weekend. I mean, they're living for the Sabbath, right? Friday night, just get me to Friday night. What's the difference, right? Um, the point is not to burn yourself out for six days and then collapse into a fetal position for 24 hours. I have a feeling God has something better. The point is to learn to live without baggage. I want you to get this. The point is to learn to live without baggage, to cast your cares on him because he cares for you, to figure out how to do what is important to you, do what's important for you to do without being ground into the dirt by the tyranny of the urgent. So having said all that, uh, you should keep a Sabbath because A, God said to, and, and B, it, it, it is a brilliant way for God that it's this amazing way he devised to remind you that your ultimate purpose on this earth is not to produce, produce, produce more, more, more. Your ultimate purpose here is to love and to be loved. And the Sabbath is, is brilliant in that respect. Now, why does God care so much about our relationship with time? You know, the Ten Commandments, there's, there's only 10 of them. That, that, that's pretty valuable real estate. Why does he take up a whole commandment to tell us to rest? Why does he care about our relationship with time on a weekly and even a daily basis? I think it is because time is the stuff within which relationship happens. And relationship is everything. Time is the stuff within which that happens. A relationship, it's, it's the meaning of life. It's why we're here. It's relationships that, you know, you ever hear stories of people when they reach the end of their life and and everything is coming to a close and they know it and they have that impending death. When they reach the end of their life and they reflect and assess their life, they either feel good about the life they lived or they feel regret about the life they lived. And what they're feeling is usually not due to the tasks that they've accomplished, but about the quality of the relationships that they have invested in. That's usually where the regret comes in. And we don't want to be one of those people who discover this truth only at the last moment. So I want to look at an example today. Uh, open your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book of the New Testament. These uh, truths in this series are, are, are kind of a struggle for us. I, I know they are. Um, including myself. I got to tell you, just to be really open in this area, I find myself preparing for this series over the past several weeks, constantly saying, dear Lord, how can I teach on this? I am such a complete hypocrite in this area, right? And then I realize, of course, that um, if I only teach on the topics that I really have nailed to perfection, we're going to have a really narrow bandwidth of topics on Sunday morning at Generations. So, so I'm teaching to all of us. Um, and this is me coming to you as a, as a fellow brother saying, Here, here's what I've discovered in his word. Here's what I'm working on. Let's, let's work on it together. Let's do this together, okay? So full disclosure there. 
Now, in Luke chapter 10, what's going on is, for those of you raised in church, this is probably a familiar story. It's one of those counterintuitive uh, stories that Jesus, he uses to really help me recalibrate. What happens here is Jesus enters a village, and there's a woman there named Martha who welcomes him into her home. And as Jesus goes in, he sits down, and Martha's sister, named Mary, uh, sits at Jesus' feet. And it says that she listens to, the literal translation there is, says he listens to the word, to his word, meaning she's seeking the meaning behind the meaning, behind what he's saying, right? Not just listening to his words, that's a different Greek word altogether, but what is he saying, his word? And in verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She's apparently getting a meal ready, and she's working hard at it, but she's distracted by the work. And she comes to him and asks, basically, Martha comes to Jesus and says, can you tell my sister off? Because I'm over here doing all the work, right? And she's just sitting here on the floor staring at you. This is one of those stories, as a kid, growing up, you know, hearing the story, I remember thinking, as a kid, you know, uh, Jesus' response to Martha not really being fair, right? Exactly. Thank you. That's not really fair. But I was afraid of telling Jesus that, so I never said it out loud. But I mean, Martha's over here doing the work, and Mary's, right? Mary's sitting here being a lazy bum. So what does Jesus say? In verse 41, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Notice the progression here that Jesus uses. You're worried about many things, many things, but only a few are needed. And Mary has chosen the one that's important. See, we see this progression. And this has got to be the perfect definition of busyness filling our lives with many worries instead of focusing on what really matters. See, Mary, in this passage, she has prioritized relationship with Jesus. That's number one for her. And Martha has prioritized serving. That's interesting because both are important, right? So we don't want to turn this like into a legalism issue or something. It's not that making preparations is wrong. Uh, but Martha has been pulled away from relationship in order to do them. And Jesus says, you know, if we got to make a choice, if we got to make a choice, I know we got to eat, I know we got things to be done, but if I have to choose between doing a task in a non-relational way or, or being relational instead of doing the task, Mary has chosen the better thing. Mary has chosen the better thing. So I think the question for us today, like I said, we don't want to, it's not like, well, don't do work, don't prepare things. The question for us becomes, how can we carry with us the spirit of Mary even when we're doing the work of Martha? How can we carry with us that spirit of Mary? Can we bring relationship into our lives? Can we have those times, and I understand this is hard for me too, can we have those times where we are just face-to-face -face with others, where we're just face-to-face -face with Jesus and we push the pause button on everything else. And this is gonna require that we learn to better manage our time because time is the stuff within which relationship happens. And 
And our time is so filled with so many things, so many trivial pursuits, and so many things that are non-relational. And maybe for some of us today, we just need to have a good old-fashioned repentance, right? And say, I repent of these things that fill my life so that I can say yes to something better. And this is so key. This is so key. I've heard wiser men than me say this, that we say no to many things so that we can say yes to something better. We're to say no to many things to say yes to something better. And sometimes what we need to say no to is not even the obvious stuff, you know? Uh, it's, it may not be something that you immediately recognize as sin, but the role that it plays in your life is destructive. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are evil. And by calling the days evil here, Paul's saying there are so many distractions out there. So we live in an era, and <laughs> Paul didn't even know, right? He wasn't even thinking about the internet. You know, he wasn't even thinking about information 24-7, constantly coming right to our pocket phones, you know, and this sort of thing. He, you, you and I might think evil as that sort of overtly sinful thing, and of course it is that thing that I need to avoid, but sometimes anything that pulls you away from making the most of your time, from redeeming the time, that's one translation puts that scripture, from redeeming the time, being uh, mindful of how you live, anything that pulls you away from that becomes the evil in your life. So making preparations for a meal, it's not sin, but there's something about the way that Martha went about it that Jesus points to as an example of missing the mark, missing the mark, which is what the definition of sin is. It's missing the mark. She has deviated from what is meant to be the centerpiece of her existence there. Um, have you ever stopped and just said, or, you know, you thought about all you have to do, maybe you got your to-do list right now probably going through your, your mind, what you, what you want to get, got to get done this week and what's pressing on you. And you ever just thought and said, there's not enough hours in my day. I don't have enough time. time. Where does all my time go? Where you get to the end of the day, how many of you, you know, are like me and it's like 11 at night and you're like, it was just seven in the morning. Where did, where did the time go? Where did it all go? And uh, let's just admit something right up front. Like we said last week, uh, I mentioned this to you in, in our preamble. It's up to us to get out of victimization mode. So get out of victimization mode. Someone else may have more money than you. They may drive a nicer car than you. They may be thinner than you. But in the area of time, we are all equal, right? Nobody's breaking into the bank and stealing a few extra minutes that you and I don't have now, right? God's not blessing his favorites with 25 hours a day. He's not doing that. God is very socialistic when it comes to time. We are all equally rich. If ever you have trouble remembering this, just remember this. Just remember this. You have as many hours in the day as Beyonce. With all her money and all her glamour. You have as many hours in your day as Beyonce. You're welcome. 
One week has 168 hours. What are we doing with them? Where does it all go? Every single day, God, he, he credits your bank account with 1,440 minutes. Every day, he gives you this bank account with 1,440 minutes in it. He deposits that into your life every day, and he says, here's the rule. Here you go. I'm giving these to you. You all have the same amount in your account. You have to spend it by the time the end, the end of the day is done. You have to spend it as wise as possible, and you can't keep any and store it for the next day. What does that sound like, by the way? <laughs> Roll over minutes. <laughs> Where we else have we heard this in the Bible? Manna, right? Manna. It's the same principle from, from all these different directions. God, he, he's trying to teach us this, the same emphasis of the dailiness of living. Today, today, the dailiness of living. You cannot carry it over. You can't save up your minutes and carry them over. There's no rollover minutes in life, right? So we have to wrestle with this fact. And we, it's something staring us in the face, and we have to admit this. Here's, here's one of those hard truths that we, we, we just need to admit to ourselves. If, if you never have enough time to do the things you know you should do, and that's important, the things that you know you should do, then something you are doing is outside the will of God. I mean, that's, that's just kind of logic, right? I, I, didn't, I didn't have to go to school to learn that one. If you don't have time to do the things you know you should do, the things that God is putting in your heart to do, he's telling you, I want you to do this, then something you're doing is outside the will of God. That means something you are doing needs to go, right? Because God's never going to tease you or tempt you you know, with a command, I want you to do this, and then say, ha, but I'm not going to give you enough time to do it. He's not going to do that. That's not the heart of God. And many of us, what the problem is, is many of us, we try to hold on to the dream God's given us. He's God, God's given me this dream, but I'm also going to try to cram in all the less important things into my day at the same time. I want them both. And then we have nobody else to blame but ourselves. So what we need to ask ourselves honestly is what is the life I should be living? And then we need to organize everything to live that life. What's the life you should be living? Ask that, and then organize everything to live that life. Remember, Jesus, uh, Jesus said following him should lead to rest. He said this, this is beautiful in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor, is that you? Yeah. Heavy laden, is that you? I will give you rest. You with all the baggage, weighted down, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So there's a learning process here. Let me teach you, he's saying, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, right? Not more guilt, not more, you know, that you're not doing enough. Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke is easy. And, and what that phrase means, literally, it means that his yoke fits perfectly. His yoke fits perfectly. And what I have for you to carry is light. Jesus teaches us to travel light. Don't overpack. Travel light. And even in the traveling, he, he teaches us that the journey itself can become part of the rest. It's a form of rest. It's woven into what it means to follow Jesus. It's not... 
I'll, I'll remind you again, it's not killing yourself for six days and then going into a coma once a week to recover. It's got something better than that. It's woven into the every day of the life of a believer. Every day, right? How many times does God have to tell us in his word, stop worrying about tomorrow? How many times? So if I'm worrying about tomorrow, I got to stop playing the victim, don't I? I got to stop playing your victim, and I got to repent to turn. So if this is not our experience, then it's something that needs to change. Something needs to change. Don't blame Jesus for it. Don't blame God for how busy you are. If, if your life is killing you, don't be like, well, this is what it takes to obey God, right? To live completely stressed out. That's, I'm just, you know, I'm being a servant of God. God's like, no, 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 you're not doing it right. Because I said my yoke fits perfectly and my burden is light, and I'm not a liar, right? So let's not blame God. One of the worst thing thieves uh, for, of our time for the American worker today is a career overload, career overload. Not just talking about working hard, uh, you know, or talking about your career, but career overload. This is where you end up uh, bonding with your identity in the form of your career. The result is that we tend to, we tend to live lives out of balance. And there's even, you know, CNN and everybody else has done studies of people all over the world and Americans live some of the most out-of-balanced lives, their work week versus their vacation time, whatever they do, even when they go on vacation, if they even take vacation. You know, we, we live lives so out of balance. Uh, and the result, so we live lives out of balance, we overwork ourselves to the bone instead of living relationally with the ones that we love. Because our, why do we do that? Because our jobs often become the measure of our worth as a human being. And that's kind of what we're, t- we're told, you know, by our culture. It's not your fault. You're not, you're not, it doesn't make you evil. It just makes you human. It, you're told that your job, your performance at your job, your title at your job, whatever that is, that's sort of the measure of your worth as a human being. And, and living out of balance in our culture, this kind of living is, is even celebrated. It's celebrated. These are the people that are on the magazine covers, right? They're the people who are like, when they interview them, they're like, yeah, well, you know, I had to be willing to sacrifice my marriage and our relationship with all my kids, but, you know, I achieved the top. I'm up here, right? And that's what we celebrate. Um, You know, they don't have any kind of spiritual connection with God or their fellow man, but they've achieved, you know, career success. And many men and women today, you know, aren't famous. Some of them are our neighbors, but they're still victims of this mentality, spending all of their energies at work instead of keeping work in its proper biblical place of, you know, of moderation. So, so we're come, come, coming close to the end here. I, I want to leave you with some suggestions as we're wrapping this up. Suggestions. I don't want to just give you sort of vague principles and you leave here and you don't really know how to actually apply it. I want to make some specific suggestions. Please don't take these uh, new rules as this new legalisms, um, this isn't meant to be a burden to you uh, because there's always exceptions. But here's some principles that might help you get started and start that conversation with yourself. And um, here they are. Number one, give yourself the gift of margin. Margin in your life. This is an excellent principle to follow uh, when it comes to your finances Right? We learned this, a bunch of us learned this in the Dave Ramsey course this past year, that series. Living below your means, not just at your means, but below your means. 
uh, is important. And what we're talking about here is doing the same thing with your time. Living without margin. There's a, a man who wrote an incredible book, Richard Swenson. He wrote a book called, just, it's just called Margin. He also wrote a follow-up book called The Overload Syndrome. Uh, read, read those as fast as you can. But Richard Swenson writes this. He says, margin less is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late out of the hairdressers because you were 10 minutes late dropping the children off at school because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station and you forgot your purse. <laughs> this kind of feels like a normal day for a lot of us, right? See, one thing backs up and it leads, leads to another, then another. He goes on to say this, marginless is not having time to finish the book you're reading on stress. Margin is having the time to read it twice. Marginless is the disease. Margin is the cure. Marginless is fatigue. Margin is energy. Marginless is hurry. Margin is calm. Marginless is culture. Margin is counterculture, right? That's what we want to be. We believers, we ought to be the most countercultural people around, right? Because the Bible shows us a better way. And we could really talk about this for a long time. This is really worthy of its own, its own sermon. But here's a few simple uh, uh, suggestions. Here's one simple suggestion that'll change your life. It'll change your life. And it sounds really, really dumb and simple. Here it is. Always aim to be 15 minutes early. Everywhere you go, aim to be 15 minutes. And if you've got kids, aim to be 30 minutes early. <laughs> aim for 15 minutes early. You cannot believe how this will change your life. Why? Because then when you're running 10 minutes late, you'll still be five minutes early. It's an amazing thing. So aim for 15 minutes early, just to help you there. Okay, number two, limit your media. Oh, Scott, please don't tell myself this. I have to, I have to tell myself this. We have to limit our media. Listen, we live in this hyper-connected world, right? Hyper-connected, we are always on. We're always accessible 24-7. Absolutely anybody, I could be out in the middle of the woods somewhere and somebody can talk to me, right? They can text me, they can page me that you know we're always connected what's destructive is if in, instead of our new gadgets and apps and things making it possible to free up time which is what they promised this will free up time unfortunately we often just fill up that extra time with more work well, I freed up more time I could do more work so technologies whether it's phones or TVs or or whatever it is they tend to start out uh, to connect in, in a, a way to help us connect more efficiently to each other, and that's great. But soon, those things take over our lives, and they steal the last bit of margin that you had left, and they work against living relationally. And remember, that's, that's kind of where we're wanting to move towards. That's, that's our vision. That's our personal vision. That's our goal. We want to live more relationally, more relationally. Um, and so those things that take us apart from living relationally, that's where we know, okay, I've, I've just went beyond that that margin. I, I've got to come back. And, and so I'm a total advocate of technology. I love it. I'm all over it. There, but there's a cost involved, especially if we don't intentionally manage it. If you wonder where a lot of your time goes, uh, it's, it, it's for many families, it's being sucked through your eyeballs into the TV. That's where a lot of our time goes. And I'm as guilty as anyone. You know, you, that, you know what it's like. You come home from work, you just want to relax. You, have that, you want to sit down for maybe a quick little 30-minute you know, show to help you help you unwind before you know it. Three or four hours have gone by. Channel surfing. You know, maybe you Netflix binge watchers out there. You know, the new show is on, so you got to watch all ten episodes tonight. Um, I'm sorry, Lord. 
but the time flies by, right? Before you know it, right? And then you've invested like four or five hours into it, and so you don't feel like, well, I could just quit and go to bed. I've got to make this worth it, so I've got to find something really good to finish up on. So you just keep hunting. What to do? Create boundaries. Set limits. Set limits. Plan what you're going to watch. Don't just sit and hunt, right, for hours. If you're watching TV, do it as a family and keep it limited. Do it as a family, keep it limited. You news hounds out there, I, I understand you. Believe it or not, believe it or not, you and I will survive without knowing everything happening in every corner of the world. Somehow the world will get by. And, and one of our great tragedies of the internet age is that we have traded wisdom for information. We've traded wisdom for information. And this is, this is a tragedy for us. For thousands and thousands of years, our ancestors have been able to grow wise and deep and close to God and learn things about human nature without getting daily reports on what's happening around the planet. Somehow they grew wise without getting that daily reports. Wisdom, wisdom comes actually from stepping back. It comes from looking at you know, studying history over long periods of time. It's really not about knowing every detail of the news that happened this morning. It's not obsessing about every detail of information every single day. So number two, limit your media. Number three, the last one, be mindful of the present. And what I mean is delight in the process of things, not just the results. And listen, this isn't, I'm not just trying to, you know, feed you new agey bull here. This is, this comes straight from the Bible, okay? Jesus says, listen, stop worrying about tomorrow. Look around you. I'm doing a new thing right now. Look around you. In other words, we often, we get in a rush. And the more we get in a rush, the more we're focused on that end result, uh, the more non-relational our attitude becomes in the process. I know this to be true for me, man. If you give me an hour in the morning to help get my kids ready for school, if I've got an hour, I'm Mr. Cool Dad. It's fun. I joke with them. You know, we can cuddle them with them in the bed, you know, and help them, make them some breakfast. We joke around. I'm Mr. Cool Dad, having fun. But, it, you know, I get up and there's 10 minutes to get to school. I turn into the least fun drill instructor on the planet, Right? No fun at all. I'm, I, and what I always find, you know what I find? Always at the end of that process, when I, we get them off to school and then, you know, you collapse in the chair. What I wish at the end of the morning when they're off to school and I'm sitting there stressed out, I wish, I always look back and wish I had just chilled out and made sure that my boys look forward to coming home to me from school rather than being glad they were out of the house. All right, sometimes I'm, we make sure that our kids are glad they're out of the house. We should be their favorite place to be around. We, we can treat people often like they're less important than our schedule. This happens at work, happens in the workplace, our neighbors, our kids, our parents, our brothers, sisters, it happens everywhere. We treat people like they're less important than our schedule. It's the attitude of Martha instead of Mary. It's saying, you know, right now I'm not living life. This isn't living life. Right now I am doing what I have to do as quick as possible so that I can start living life. Let me tell you how dangerous that attitude is. If you have that attitude, right now I'm not living life. I've got to do what I can do as quick as possible so I can start living life. What happened? Guess what? 
life is happening right now. It's going on right now and putting it off, living in the imagined future instead of the relational present. That's a good way to waste the gift of time that God's given you, those 1,440 minutes. It's a good way to waste that. Our mind is always on what we are rushing to get to instead of what's happening right now. And I have to ask God daily to recalibrate me back to that because I'm a natural rusher. I'm a natural thinker about this and just get me there. I have to ask him, help me to live right here. Help me to live in this. And we hurry through our task list so that we can live life afterwards. Some of us, if we're not careful, mindlessly live day after day after day that way, hurrying so that we can, what? Get to some mythical place? Because when we're there, we're just gonna be compelled to hurry through that to get to some other place. Living for the weekend, living for retirement. I'm just, I'm just living for, once I get to retirement, you know, do you realize how short your life becomes if you're, if that's all you're living for? How short you have made your life if that's the only time you are really living when all the work is done, when all the chores are done, when the tasks are done, then I can really live. You have shrunk your life down to such a short time. That's not God's will for us. Instead, let's learn from Mary and invite relationship into everything that we do. Learn to delight in it. Enjoy being fully alive in the process, in the process of work, in the process of homework, in the process of chores, of tasks. You're alive right then. Be alive right then. And that's when you, when you learn that, as we learn that together, as we mature in that, that's part of the process of, of your relationship between you and God grows because that's where relationship happens. It happens in the context of time. Your relationship with God, it's you and him doing things together, right? It's not you just hurrying through things so that you can start living. Amen? All right. Let's close it down here. In the Psalms, I want to just read this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. God says to us, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I love this verse. You know why I love it? To me, this is like the romantic equivalent of your spouse just kind of grabbing you going, shut up and kiss me. Right? Be still. God, our lover, our husband, the one who delights in us. He's saying, okay, okay, enough with your busyness and your chatter and your striving and hurrying. Just shut it. And know I am here with you now, right now. That's what God tells us. Be still and know that I am. What's in your life that's pulling you away from what is best? What is it that's most important? God wants a relationship with you. What are those trivial pursuits in your life, the distractions that you just need to say no to so that you can say yes to something better? Let's pray. Father God, we love you, Lord. God, we thank you that you are 
you are there every moment. And we repent that we are so often so busy and hurried that we don't stop to recognize that the God of the universe is waiting for a relationship with us. He's waiting to take our cares from us. We thank you, Lord God, for your patience and your love and your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room who is living this busy life, Lord God. They're busy. They live under the tyranny of the urgent, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you, as we leave this place, Lord, speak to us, speak to our hearts, bring to our, our understanding those areas in our life that we can change. Help us to recognize those things that are distractions, that are not the most important things. Help us to recognize the times when we are hurrying again and in the morning when we forget. You have to re-remind us, Lord God. You'll have to re-remind us. You're hurrying. You're forgetting to live. You're forgetting that I'm right here with you. Help us to remember those times. We ask that your Holy Spirit speak to us and live in us and, and speak to us and remind us, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. I speak peace on the people here who are stressed out, who are overworked, at the end of their ropes. I speak peace on us in Jesus' name. We praise you, Father God. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward right now. And if you have any needs at all that you need prayer, I invite you to come forward, let them pray with you. But I especially want to ask you this. If you're somebody here who this is you and you need a change, you know something's got to change. Something's got to change this year or you're going to reach a breaking point. Don't, don't just do the same things and expect different results. Come forward and let these guys pray with you. We believe that, that God wants to do some miracles in your life. I know he wants to do some miracles in my life. I'm excited about it. Amen? Amen. You guys have a wonderful week, and we will see you Wednesday night, and then we'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.